Welcome everyone to Daf Yomi one week at a time. Uh, we are in Masechet Megillah, and uh, this is our second shiur, our second lesson, where we are going to be reviewing Daf 10 through 16, so Daf Yud through uh, Tet Zayin. Um, I will suggest for anybody who is interested, we are going to be going through um, a lot of Megillat Esther today. Uh, so if those of you have or want, uh, first of all, if you have your Gemaras, uh, you can follow along in the Gemara. Uh, if you have a, uh, a Megillah, uh, a Megillat Esther, uh, that is also uh, very helpful for most of our class today. Um, but you do not need it. I'm going to um, you know, explain as we go along. Um, so let's start actually at the bottom of Daf 9. Uh, we're still in the section of the Ain Bains. So if you remember from last week, um, we discussed how um, the Gemara started comparing uh, seemingly uh, very similar things and saying that they're so similar, there's only one thing uh, that is different. And we, we, kind of, we started talking about um, um, things that were related to Purim, meaning the, the month of Adar. And then we, if you remember, we kind of really went off topic in terms of connecting things really that we weren't talking about at all. Uh, we, we spoke about Shabbat and Yom Kippur. We spoke about Kohanim, we, the priests. We spoke about leprosy, Tzara'at. Um, so the last thing that we're going to connect uh, at the bottom of Daf 9 is the Mishkan, which is the tabernacle that was in Shiloh, um, as compared to the Beit HaMikdash, the temple in Jerusalem, right? So the Gemara says that there's no difference, meaning they were so similar. Um, the only thing that was different was that um, when you ate uh, certain sacrificial parts, they're called Kadshe Kalim, which means um, parts of the sacrifice that can be eaten by non-priests, um, and these sacrificial uh, meats could be eaten uh, in a Jerusalem when we were talking about the temple, the Beit HaMikdash, but when we're talking about uh, the Mishkan, the tabernacle in Shiloh, it actually could be eaten anywhere in the area, as long as you could see the Mishkan. Um, and this is actually very fascinating. Archaeologists um, used this idea and saw, if, those of you who have ever been to Shiloh in, uh, in the Shomron of Israel, um, if you look, uh, they actually found um, pottery shards all over the mountains or the hills around Shiloh and also a lot of animal bones uh, and the archaeologists basically discovered exactly this idea that you didn't have to eat um, the meat in a Shiloh itself, rather you can eat it in any uh, of the hilltops around the area as long as you could see Shiloh, uh, as opposed to in Jerusalem uh, in the, when the, the temple, the Beit HaMikdash, uh, you could only eat the sacrificial meat in a Jerusalem itself, within the walls of Jerusalem. Um, so um, the, from here, Daf 10 um, tells us a little bit about the Mishkan, about the tabernacle, how it was um, in Shiloh for 369 years. And um, and then uh, there were 57 years between the Mishkan and the Beit HaMikdash and the temple, right? Again, uh, the Mishkan was destroyed uh, and then only right, King Solomon, only Shlomo, uh, built the, the temple uh, later on. So it's actually 57 years later. Um, the Gemara tells us on Daf 10 that there was actually a temple built in Egypt after the destruction of the temple. It was called Beit Chonio. Um, it was built in Egypt and they brought sacrifices there. And there's actually a machloket in the Gemara if this temple was um, a temple that really was to, um, to bring offerings to God uh, or was it um, idol worship, and and we really see that there's a a difference of opinion. Uh, but here there's a discussion that maybe it was okay to bring sacrifices in this temple in Egypt. Um, 
from here, we have a, a beautiful idea about uh, the resting place of God. Again, we, um, we see God as um, right, uh, an all-powerful being that doesn't have a physical presence, uh, but we did have a physical temple in order to serve God. And the, the Gemara tells us, it, based on a verse from the, the Chumash, from the, the Bible, that says that um, God says, I'm going to have a resting place, a menucha and a nachala and an inheritance or a, a final resting place. So the Gemara explains the minucha, the resting place, which is temporary. That is the Mishkan, the tabernacle in Shiloh. The Nachala, the final stage, that is uh, the temple in Jerusalem. Um, Okay, from here, uh, we are actually going to begin uh, looking at verses in the Megillah itself, and that's going to take us till the end of the chapter. Um, so uh, on Daf 10, uh, the, the Gemara tells us, Vayihi bimei achashverosh, right? The, the Megillah starts with the word, uh, and it was in the days of achashverosh. The word Vayihi, right, and it was, so the Gemara tells us there's a tradition that whenever we have the word vayihi, it means that uh, something bad is going to happen. Uh, there's a distress or pain, um, and it generally precedes something bad. If you look in Tanakh, uh, it, and the, the Gemara gives some examples, it precedes famine, uh, war, um, barrenness. Uh, so here as well, um, Vayihi means uh, we're about to see something really bad for the Jewish people. Um, the Gemara says sometimes we have the word Vayihi and it's good. So how do we determine when it's going to be good and when it's going to be bad? So the Gemara says that when it says Vayihi Bimei, and it was in the days of, that's a sign uh, that bad things are going to happen. Um, the the Gemara continues uh, and talks about um, the place of the Ark in the temple and how, interestingly, if you do the calculations uh, in terms of the measurement of the room and the Ark, it seems that really it took up uh, no space. How could that be? Um, the Gemara says that it actually stood miraculously. Uh, my husband actually has a theory that... Um, there's a theory of relativity in physics, so he talks about spiritual relativity, right? The closer you get to spirituality, the less space you take up. Uh, so that's his theory, uh, which I think is a beautiful idea, um, and very supported by this Gemara that says that the, the Ark stood miraculously and didn't take up any space. Um, from here, um, the, the Gemara talks about different introductions to uh, the book of Esther, again, to Megillat Esther, um, this idea that there are verses that talk about uh, thorns turning into a cypress, and instead of uh, nettles, there will be myrtle, uh, and it goes through different verses that seem to um, hint at the fact, right, that let's say thorns are Haman, right, he was prickly, he tried to hurt us or harm us, um, whereas the cypress is a very regal tree, that's Mordechai, and then nettles are Vashti, again, she was, um, she did bad things to the Jewish people, which we'll see in a minute, uh, as opposed to uh, the myrtle, the hadas, uh, again, hadas, Esther, we're going to see in a minute, uh, the connection. Um, okay, uh, the Gemara at the bottom of Daf 10 says that God isn't happy when uh, the evil people fall. Uh, the angels say, uh, the angels didn't say sing songs when the Egyptians uh, were killed at uh, at the splitting of the Red Sea. We're actually going to get back to the Red Sea actually at the end of our our class today. Um, but he does enable people to rejoice, uh, meaning the Jewish people during the time of Purim did rejoice uh, because they were saved from the Persians. Uh, the Gemara continues with other introductions to um, the Megillah, again, when different stages would open, would start a, a class on Megillat Esther, on the story of Esther, uh, they would open up with different verses that hinted about the story of 
Purim. Uh, the top, the the top of Daf Eleven tells us how Hashem remembered, um, or God remembered His kindness, and everybody knew about our salvation. This is talking about the time of Esther. Um, Again, it's very important to understand, and we'll see this as we go through the the, the book, that um, the the book of Esther is written in a very, um, I, I would say, physical way, in the sense that uh, we have um, a, a plot to kill the Jews, uh, and Esther saves the day. Uh, we have no mention of any prophets. Uh, we don't have any mention of God coming to save the day. Um, but we're going to see that the Gemara is very careful and very um, intentional when it's trying to show us about the miraculous events that happened at this time, even though it all seems to be uh, either political machina machinations or, um, or happenstance. Um, the Gemara is telling us that, no, this is a planned salvation from God. Uh, we just don't see God uh, very clearly. It's all behind the scenes. Um, and we're going to see this later on. And, and as we're discussing tonight, um, you can kind of think about the different parallels that the Gemara is trying to make between the exodus from Egypt, which was very miraculous, um, to the salvation here in Persia uh, during the time of Esther. And we have to think about what the Gemara is trying to tell us, right? I think the idea here is that um, even when politically we are saved, um, we need to understand that it is uh, in all in God's plans and not just um, the people here who are um, kind of moving the pawns around. So uh, we'll keep that in mind as we continued. Um, Okay, um, the Gemara continues um, when it says Vayihi. Again, we, we talked about that word and it was, uh, but here uh, it talks about uh, Vayihi, right? That woe and mourning, right? Again, this sign that something bad is going to happen. That's how, right, there's an ominous beginning to the story. Um, let's talk about Achashverosh, right? Who is this King Achashverosh? Um, it seems that uh, right, he, the, the, he's an ach, he's a brother, and rosh, a head. Um, so the Gemara says right, he destroys the temple or he, does, he continues that destruction and, uh, or he's the brother of the one who uh, destroyed the temple. Um, and uh, right, Achashverosh wants to destroy this temple, um, or from the word shachor, it's black, or he blackened, uh, or he, right, he saddened the, the, the faces of the people, uh, or he uh, rush, he made everybody become poor, right? So again, we're, we're trying to understand like the symbolism of his name, or maybe the foreshadowing of his name, right? Who Achashverosh says the the Megillah, right? He is Achashverosh. He remained in his wickedness from the beginning till the end, right? He starts off wicked and he ends off wicked. Um, he rules over um, over the the Persian Empire. The Gemara tells us that he is not from a long line of kings. He uh, is a self-made man. He becomes the king. He has no, um, 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 he has no, uh, what's the word? Um, right. Uh, there's no bloodline. There's no royal bloodline um, that he is connected to. Um, and he rules, right? It says, Mihodu um, Vaadkush, right? From uh, from India till uh, Ethiopia, maybe. Uh, the idea is, does it mean from one side of the world to the other, or does it mean two very close countries and he doesn't rule that much? Um, he, he rules over, it seems the Gemara says that there were three people who ruled over the entire world. Achav, uh, who is a king, a Jewish king, Nebuchadnezzar, um, right, the king who uh, destroys the, the temple, and Achashverosh. Um, Shlomo, King Solomon, is not uh, one of these uh, rulers because he didn't complete his rule. Um, and from here, uh, there's a whole discussion 
about um, the exile that the Jewish people were in. Um, so if you can see here, this is actually uh, a chart from the uh, Dafyomi Advancement Forum. Uh, sorry if it's a little small. I can make it a little bit bigger, but then you can't see everything. But I guess I can make it bigger and then move it up. Um, but uh, this has a timeline of the exile of the Babylonian exile. Um, there is an understanding that the exile would be 70 years. Um, so the, the Gemara talks about um, these 70 years of exile, starting with Nebuchadnezzar. He is the one who um, conquers uh, Israel and destroys the, um, the temple. Uh, this is going from right from zero uh, all the way, this is till 69, and then there's another chart here, uh, from 70 till 89. So uh, here, you can see here is um, the miracle of Purim is here at uh, year 86. Uh, the question is, right, we see here uh, year 70. Everyone wanted to know when would be the beginning of the redemption. Um, so this is where uh, Belshazzar, uh, who was uh, the king, um, actually does some calculation and determines that uh, this is the 70th year. Um, and then he sees that, oh, look, the Jewish people are still around. They haven't been redeemed. So I'm going to throw a big party because it must be that uh, they are never going to be redeemed. Um, so Belshazzar does this calculation. He ends up uh, um, dying. And now Achashverosh does his own calculations, and he also comes up uh, to this calculation of 70 years. And the Gemara tells us that um, that is why in the beginning of our story, Achashverosh takes out the vessels from the temple, and he has a big party because he decided or determined uh, that um, that this is the end of the 70 years. The Jewish people are still uh, under his rule and therefore they will never be uh, redeemed and let's have a big party. Um, unfortunately, he also mis miscalculated. Uh, the question was, should you calculate from the destruction or should you calculate from um, when the exile started? Um, and um, both of them were wrong. Uh, and there was a redemption, but it just happened a little bit later. Um, the Gemara, right, it only happens during um, Darius's rule, Daryavish. Um, Daryavish is uh, the king, the, the Persian king who allows the Jewish people to go back and start to build um, the temple. Um, okay, Daf 12. Uh, we have a discussion about Daniel, who is a prophet. And he also makes a mistake in this calculation. Uh, again, uh, it seems to be a problem when, or it, it seems to be unclear when to start that 70 years um, for the exile. Um, and then, of course, Koresh Cyrus is the one who really um, has the power to let the Jews rebuild um, Jerusalem, which he does, but he uh, doesn't get too involved himself, which there is some uh, criticism against Cyrus himself. Um, the Gemara continues on Daf 12 and tells us that King Ahasuerus wore the clothing of the high priest of the Kohen Gadol. Right? It says that he um, puts on glorious clothing. The word tiferet uh, means glory. And um, that is the same word used when describing the high priest's clothing. Um, so again, um, in case it wasn't obvious, many of the stories that you've heard about uh, or surrounding the book of Esther come from here, from these, these pages in the Gemara. Um, so the Gemara here um, on Daf 12 actually has an, a, a disagreement, a machloket, um, to determine was King Ahasuerus very wise, right, and evil, or was he just foolish? Um, and this discussion really takes us through uh, the entire um, Megillah, the entire story, right? Is he conniving and he has this great plan from the beginning, or he's kind of 
seen as a pawn for Haman, who is definitely the evil mastermind. Um, okay, let's continue. Um, the Gemara says that the Jews of the time went to King Ahasuerus' party, and that's why they initially deserved to be punished. Um, the Gemara says, well, um, not everybody went to the party, so um, why else would they have deserved uh, to be punished? The Gemara says that they actually bowed down to idols in this time, um, but we see that they are saved at the end. So how could they be saved? Um, so the Gemara says they didn't really bow down to the idols. Uh, they didn't do it out of a um, deep desire for idolatry. Rather, they were very afraid of Haman, uh, and therefore they deserved to be um, to be spared. Uh, from here, Duff 12 describes the feast, the party that Ahasuerus um, sets out uh, for all the, the people of his kingdom. It talks about the courtyard and the garden of the palace, um, the tapestries and the marble and the cushions. Um, they sat on golden chairs. Um, there are diff it says that there are diverse um, um, vessels. Again, uh, as we said, these vessels come from the temple, um, and he decides to use them, uh, though he will be punished for using them later on. Um, the Gemara says that he serves wine, uh, wine to everybody. Everybody got the type of wine that they liked, uh, that from their region. Um, it seems that Mordechai and Haman seem to be pouring wine for everybody at the party. Um, and since we're talking about Ahasuerus' party, now the Gemara talks about Vashti's party. So just to remind ourselves, Ahasuerus is married to Queen Vashti. Uh, she, uh, we'll see in a minute uh, what, what's going on in, on her side of the palace. Um, but she actually, instead of making her feast in the women's area, she actually makes it very close to where the men were. It seems that there was a lot of uh, indecency going on at this party. Um, the Gemara says that um, that uh, this the day, the seventh day of the party happens to be, or not happens to be, but on purpose is Shabbat. Um, and uh, on Shabbat, it seems that, uh, right, the Gemara says, look at the difference between the Jewish people and the non-Jews, right? Jewish people on Shabbat, they sit around their Shabbat table and they talk about Torah, they talk about um, important things, interesting things, spiritual things, and look at what the Persians are doing. They're sitting around at a feast, they're drinking, and they're doing uh, very inappropriate, indecent things, um, right? Ahasuerus tells them that his wife is the most beautiful, um, and here the Gemara says that um, what would Vashti do? She used to have Jewish servants, and she made them work seven days a week, meaning including Shabbat, and she used to make them work without any clothing on. Uh, and therefore, as a punishment on Shabbat, she was asked to come without clothing before Ahasuerus, right? So therefore, she needed to come out without clothing. Um, she refused. Uh, and here, uh, if you've ever learned this story, I think maybe probably from when you were in kindergarten, you learned why did Vashti refuse to come out? Well, maybe she got leprosy uh, or maybe she grew a tail. Uh, that all comes from this Gemara, right? So she really isn't um, so modest in the sense that normally she would have come out, but for some reason, she couldn't come out uh, at this time. Ahasuerus gets very angry with her. He seems, uh, it seems that Vashti insults him with a letter. Uh, and then he, um, Ahasuerus turns to the sages and he says, what should I do? Uh, and they say, you know, don't, don't get us involved. We really aren't so good with giving advice now that the, the temple has been destroyed. Uh, so maybe ask somebody else. Um, so then he goes and he asks his seven advisors. Uh, again, this is all based on the on the Megillah, but with some added. Uh, I, I would say the Gemara is filling in some blanks here. Um, so the Gemara says that each one of the advisors, right? There are seven advisors mentioned. Each name hints to a type of sacrifice. Um, Memuchan is one of these advisors. The Gemara tells us that is actually Haman. Um, 
why is he called Mimuchan? Because he is Muchan. He was ready. Uh, he was ready to be uh, to be punished, right? He's the one who comes up with this idea. Um, and the the Gemara says that simple people jump up and they speak first, right? So uh, thoughtful people take time. They think about uh, what they want to say. Uh, simple people jump too quickly, right? So Mimuchan was too quick to jump up and give um, and give advice. Um, after this uh, scene, right, they send out letters to the entire uh, population. Uh, the Gemara says, right, what did this letter say, right? Everybody needs to rule his house. The Gemara says, all the men of the, of the, of the uh, uh, kingdom said, this is a ridiculous letter. Obviously, I'm the ruler of my house. Why does the king have to tell me this? Uh, and therefore, they thought that uh, this king is really foolish. And therefore, when the second letter comes out, which tells them to prepare to kill the Jews, they didn't really take it seriously. So it's interesting how the Gemara already tells us because of the first letter, um, it leads to basically the salvation of the Jewish people from the second letter. Um, the the Gemara now goes on to Mordechai, right? We started with Achashverosh. Let's talk about Mordechai. Mordechai is the next character that is introduced. Um, it mentions his ancestors. Uh, the question is why, right? Uh, why is it talking about his ancestors? One, we want to see where he comes from. Another option the Gemara tells us is that each one is a description of Mordechai, right? It doesn't mean he is the son of the son of the son of, rather each word is describing a characteristic of Mordechai. Uh, he is a Yehudi. Interestingly, uh, those of us, uh, we were used to the word Yehudi, meaning Jew. Uh, in those days, that was not what, how you called a Jew. Yehudi usually meant from the tribe of Yehuda from Judah. Um, but the question is, but wait a minute, it says that he's Ish Yimini. He's from the tribe of Binyamin, of Benjamin. So the, the Gemara asks, so is he from Yehuda or Binyamin? So the Gemara tells us that um, his father was from Binyamin and his mother is from Yehuda, right? And therefore each tribe wants to be connected to Mordechai. Again, uh, one of the heroes of the story. So each tribe wants to uh, be connected to Mordechai. Or each tribe doesn't want to be connected to Mordechai. Why is that? The Gemara tells us at the top of Daf 13 um, that, again, David, who comes from Yehuda, right, didn't kill Shimi ben Gera, um, which led to Mordechai, who provoked Haman, right? Again, Mordechai is uh, the, one of the heroes of the story, but he also could be seen as the instigator, right? He doesn't, uh, you know, he provokes Haman, and that's why Haman wants to kill the Jews. Or we can look at it from the other side, right? Shaul, the king from the tribe of Binyamin, didn't kill Agag, who was the king of Amalek, and um, Haman comes from Agag, and because of this, right, Haman is around, um, and he um, and he is wants to kill the Jewish people. Or uh, again, uh, the, really, the Gemara says, really, he comes from Shevet, from the tribe of Binyamin, but he denied idolatry, and therefore he is called a Yehudi again. Uh, the way we understand the word Yehudi, meaning Jew, right? He denies uh, idolatry, and therefore he is a Jew. It has nothing to do with the tribe of Yehuda. Um, from here, the Gemara talks about um, different verses that mention different names, and, and again, names of right, a person who is the son of another person, who's the son of another person. And again, as we did for Mordechai, the Gemara says, no, this is not a description of a lineage, rather it's a description of the person, right, and how each name is, um, is a different characteristic. So uh, the Gemara on Daf 13 uh, brings a verse about Moshe and how um, each one of these names describes Moshe. Um, so you can see that in the Gemara. Um, it says that Mordechai uh, is in, in exile. Uh, the Gemara tells us that he actually exiled himself 
from Jerusalem to be with the Jewish people, right? He wasn't taken passively, rather he left actively in order to lead the Jewish people. Let's go on to Esther. Um, so who was Esther? The Gemara tells us, right, or the, the Megillah tells us, he Hadassa, right? Her name was also Hadassa. So the question is, um, which was her real name and which was the um, the given name or the the nickname? So that we're going to go back and forth, right? Again, um, the Gemara says Hadassa from the word Hadass, uh, the myrtle branch. The Gemara tells us that righteous people are called myrtles. Uh, again, um, or maybe she was called Esther because she hid Esther from the word Hester, which means to hide, right? She hid her identity. Or um, Esther from Ishtar, uh, which means uh, the moon, right? She was beautiful like the moon. Or maybe Hadassah from the myrtle, but in the sense of she had a green, uh, green complexion, right? For, for those of you who have heard that before, that uh, she had a, an olive tint, uh, that comes from this idea that she's called Hadassah. Um, the Gemara tells us that she never knew her mother or her father. They both died uh, before she was born. So how does that work? Uh, basically, her father uh, died while she was, uh, her mother was pregnant, and her mother died at childbirth, uh, and therefore Mordechai adopted her as a daughter, or, says the Gemara, he married her, right? He took her as a bat or bait, as a, as a wife. Uh, again, here is the Midrash that Mordechai and Esther were really married. Um, the Gemara tells us that Esther had seven um, maidens that served her, one for each day of the week, uh, and that's how she calculated what day it was, right? Because again, I guess she was locked in the palace, uh, and therefore when the, right, uh, you know, servant number seven came, she knew what that it was, excuse me, she knew that it was Shabbat. Um, we have... Um, we have uh, Haggai, who is um, sorry, Haggai, who is the Swiss, the the eunuch who um, takes care of uh, Esther. So it says that he fed her kosher food, and uh, or maybe non-kosher food, but like the choicest food, or maybe he gave her seeds. The idea that he knew that she could only eat certain types of food, and he wanted to take care of her. Um, the Gemara talked about the different preparations of the girls uh, that they did in order to uh, go and see Achashverosh. Um, it seems that everybody loved Esther, right? Achashverosh liked her the best. Um, and again, she doesn't tell him where she's from, even though he tries to figure it out. And the Gemara tells us all these uh, different ways that he tries to get it out of her, but uh, she does not uh, reveal her identity. Uh, from here, the Gemara, interestingly, goes into a discussion about modesty, about sni'ut. And I think it's very interesting to understand. I think nowadays when we use the word modesty, um, especially when, when, I, when I speak with my students or, or in general, when we speak of modesty, we think specifically about clothing, right? How is someone dressed? Are they being modest? Here the Gemara is telling us that's not the essence of modesty. Modesty is about being a private person, about not sharing um, things or not talking about things uh, that are meant to stay private. So uh, from here, the Gemara talks about, again, Esther doesn't share her identity. She's very modest. Um, the Gemara tells us that if a person is modest, it leads to righteous children. How do they get that idea? That Rachel was a modest person and um, because she doesn't reveal or actually she does reveal the secret code that um, Yaakov, that Jacob gives her, she gives that code to Leah uh, so that 
when her father changes who's going to marry uh, Yaakov, Leah knows the secret code and she marries um, Yaakov instead of Rachel, right? And here the Gemara sees that as modesty, as humility, um, that Rachel shares that so that Leah wouldn't be embarrassed. Um, and therefore, that led to the birth of Shaul, again, King Saul, uh, when he was um, coronated as king. He doesn't scream from the rooftops, right? He doesn't put it on Twitter that he was just coronated as king. He, right, actually keeps it a secret. So the Gemara says that is a, a modest characteristic, uh, and that leads to the birth of Esther. Again, they're all uh, from the same line, the same lineage. Again, Esther being this um, modest person. So just interesting um, how they're all connected. Um, um, Esther, right, it says, was faithful to Mordechai, right? She does exactly as he says. Um, and it seems, again, uh, going with the, the idea that they were married, um, it says that she actually purified herself um, from when she was taken to be with Achashverosh um, to when she went to be with her husband, Mordechai. Um, from here, we have a description of the plan to assassinate Achashverosh, right? Bigtan and Teresh are the two conspirators who want to kill Achashverosh. Mordechai stops them. Uh, the Gemara describes how he does that on Daf 13. Um, a very uh, important line, uh, the Gemara tells us that God only strikes the Jewish people after he creates the remedy, right? The the Gemara tells us that God creates, right, the trufa, the remedy, before the makkah, before He is going to punish us. Um, however, um, the for non-Jews, uh, when He wants to punish them, He punishes them, and then uh, there is a remedy, maybe later on. Um, the Gemara tells us that Haman really only wanted to first punish Mordechai. Then he says, you know what, I want to punish all the rabbis. Then he says, you know what, I just want to kill all the Jews, right? Uh, the, the lottery, the poor, right? The word purim comes from the lottery that was cast by um, Haman, falls out in Adar, Haman is so happy, the Gemara tells us, because Adar is the month that Moshe died. So um, Haman sees that it's a very, uh, a very good date um, for, to kill the Jewish people. He didn't know, says the Gemara, that it is actually the month that Moshe was also born. Right? Moshe was born and died on the 7th of Adar, uh, and therefore it is a good month and not a bad month. Um, Again, um, here the Gemara goes through at the bottom of 13 the entire discussion um, between Haman and Achashverosh, how Haman um, um, persuades Achashverosh to kill the Jews. Uh, and again, there's a discussion, is he really persuading Achashverosh or did Achashverosh want to kill the Jews in the first place? The Gemara tells us at the top of 14 that um, Achashverosh and Haman are like two men. One has a huge pile of dirt. The other has a huge ditch. And right, the guy with the pile of dirt says, I'll pay you if you just take my dirt. And the guy with the ditch says, I don't need you to pay me. Just give me the dirt. Like, it's great, right? Meaning they both wanted to kill the Jews and they're helping each other out. And it's basically win-win for the two of them. Um, the Gemara tells us that the removal of the ring is a very... Um, is a very uh, pivotal moment, uh, so much so the Gemara tells us that just by Achashverosh removing his ring and giving it to Haman, that brought the Jewish people to do um, tshuva, to repent, right? And not all the, the books of prophecy that we have uh, in, the, in the Torah, right? The prophets yelled for years that the destruction is coming and nobody listened to them. And all Achashverosh had to do was to take off his ring. And all of a sudden, the Jews uh, do repent in the book of Esther. And since we mentioned prophets, interestingly enough, um, the Gemara tells us um, that there are 48 or there were 48 prophets and seven prophetesses, prophet, 
prophetesses, okay, female prophets, um, and that, um, again, right, they didn't uh, change any laws, um, and, uh, right, they were written down, and they wrote down their, their prophecies. Um, the Gemara tells us that um, really there were many more, right? So if you look at the verses in the, in the, the book of the prophets, it talks about whole groups of prophets. So the Gemara says, no, you're right. So really there were many, but if the prophecy was needed for generations, then it was written down. So that's the 48 and the 7. Uh, their prophecies were, um, were uh, for the generations. From here, we have a beautiful discussion about the seven female prophets. Who were they? Sarah, Miriam, Dvorah, Hannah, Avigail, um, Avigail, who is the, um, right, okay, well, I'll go through each one. Avigail, Hulda, and Esther. Uh, and the Gemara basically goes through uh, proving how each one of these was a, was a prophet, right, Sarah, has a whole conversation with God, therefore um, she uh, has a prophecy. Miriam, again, the, the sister of Moshe. Um, the Gemara gives the beautiful story about Miriam who um, knew that Moshe was going to be the savior of the Jewish people, uh, and that came from prophecy. Dvorah, she was the judge. She actually has a, um, a whole uh, uh, chapter uh, discussing her in the book of Judges. She was a judge. She sat under a palm tree, and um, she judged the people, and she was also a prophet. Chana, Chana is um, from the first chapter uh, in the book of Samuel, of Shmuel. She is the mother of Shmuel. Um, and she, again, has a whole discussion with God about um, giving her a child. She's barren for many, many years. Um, <clears throat> she, by the way, and it's important to realize, and if those of you uh, remember, we learned uh, that her prayer is the, the source for our prayer, right? For our Shmonasre, the silent Amida, many of the laws that we keep nowadays come from her prayer. So that's just uh, important uh, to understand. Uh, Avigail, uh, she becomes the wife of King David, of, of David HaMelech, um, but she is originally uh, married to someone else, uh, and she actually saves her husband's life from being killed by David, and she gives very good advice. And uh, the Gemara describes that she has prophecy that she knows that she, oh, excuse me, um, is that she will um, eventually marry David, and he is going to uh, actually get in trouble with Bathsheba. Um, Hulda, Hulda is a prophet um, from the Book of Kings. Uh, the, the Gemara tells us that they sent a Torah to her to interpret. The question that Gemara asks is, why don't they send it to Yirmiyahu, uh, Jeremiah? He is the prophet at the same time. So why didn't they ask him? Uh, the Gemara says, well, uh, first of all, um, Hulda was his relative, and she would, she would, she would, she's as a woman, she would be very sensitive and pray for mercy for the Jewish people. Or uh, Yirmiyahu was actually out of town. Uh, he was not in Israel at this time. He was actually in exile trying to bring back the 10 tribes that were sent out previously into exile. Um, Esther, uh, as we said, her book is written uh, with Ruach HaKodesh, with divine inspiration. Uh, the Gemara goes through uh, different verses that explain how uh, we know that she wrote it uh, with this divine inspiration. Um, from here, uh, we say that Hulda um, comes from Yehoshua, from Joshua, uh, and or maybe from Rachav. To remind us, Rachav was the woman uh, in the beginning of the book of Yehoshua, of Joshua. She is the, um, the woman who owns the brothel, uh, who hides the two spies that come into Jericho, into Yericho, um, and she is later saved. Um, right? They promise that they're going to come back and save her. She is saved, and we're going to see here at the top of 
um, the bottom of 14, the beginning of 15, that Rahav actually converts and she marries Yehoshua, and therefore um, she has eight prophets that come from her, right? She is, um, she has merited uh, this uh, great uh, merit. Um, okay, um, the Gemara talks about from here, um, there are four beautiful women. Uh, and I think it's really interesting uh, in my group of women that we, we learned together here in my neighborhood, uh, we had an interesting discussion that we just went through uh, a whole list of women who were leaders, who were prophets. And now the Gemara talks about seven, uh, four women who were the most beautiful women. Uh, and is that seen as a virtue? And if so, why? It's just a very interesting discussion. Um, so who are these four beautiful women? Sarah, again, who is also a prophet, Abigail, Rachel, and Esther. Uh, so again, it's, it's an interesting thing to think about um, why the Gemara talks about beauty. I, th I think it's really about um, these women use their power, their beauty for good, right? Um, to, um, I would say, lead to be charismatic leaders, uh, either on a personal level, on a national level. So it's interesting to think about um, what uh, what happens, uh, you know, what, what the Gemara is trying to teach us. Um, the Gemara talks about um, the scene with Esther and Mordechai, um, that Esther proclaims a fast uh, over the Jewish, for the Jewish people. Uh, it, the, the Gemara tells us that this happens on Pesach. It's interesting, we always think about the Purim story happening on Purim, uh, but that's only later on the battle. Uh, but here, when there is a um, there is a fast, uh, it actually happens over Pesach, uh, over Passover, and um, and um, the the Gemara uh, talks about the fact that they fasted on Pesach. Um, Zohar is asking about Achinoam in terms of was she beautiful? I'm sure she was, but I guess she doesn't make it in the top four most beautiful women. Um, so uh, it's interesting. Um, you, said you said Rachel, and it said um, it Rahab. Is it the same person? Rahab. Rahab was. Ah, Rahab, sorry. Yes, Rahab is not the same person. Rahab is what who I mentioned before uh, in the one from from Yericho. Yes, sorry. Yes. Yes, correct. Um, so Rahab was who we mentioned in Yericho, how she was so beautiful. Um, okay, uh, next. Um, the Gemara says that um, when Haman saw Mordechai sitting at the gate, he got very upset. Um, the Gemara tells us that Haman was actually uh, um, owned by Mordechai. It seems that Haman originally was a slave uh, and Mordechai was his master. That gives us some background, which we don't really see in the, uh, in the Megillah, uh, and that's why there is some hatred here. Um, or maybe, right, uh, the Gemara talks about Haman having all this wealth, and he puts it on his clothing, right? And he says that all this wealth isn't worth uh, all this emotional trauma that um, that uh, Mordechai is putting him through. Um, the Gemara tells us that God will be a crown of glory for righteous people in the next world. Again, since we're talking about glory and crowns and jewels. Um, so uh, the, the Gemara uh, is kind of... Um, connecting those two ideas. Um, the Gemara interestingly compares, and we, we did learn this before, um, the, the chapter, chapter 22 in Tehillim, in Psalms, uh, if you look at that chapter, the Gemara tells us that that is actually written about the story of Esther. Uh, so you can look at it uh, after this class, but um, the, the Gemara goes through different verses in that chapter, right? Um, Esther says, Hashem, please don't leave me. Why did God leave her? It seems that she went through an area in the palace that had a lot of idols. Um, so um, the, the, the holy, right, uh, I would say the, the Shekhinah, right, the Holy Spirit left her. And then she says, no, 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 come back. I need your help. 
So the Gemara describes that when Esther comes to Ahasuerus, to the king, um, where she's going to uh, invite him to her feast, um, it says that there were three angels that helped her when she went to go see him. Uh, and that his, uh, right, he, it says that the king extends his scepter towards, uh, um, towards Esther, Here's there's a whole discussion of uh, the the scepter miraculously growing uh, and and reaching her. It seems uh, it grows very um, it gets very uh, large. It seems that also uh, the Gemara compares this to the daughter of Paro. We learned it uh, in we saw it in last week's parsha when the daughter of Paro um, goes and sees Moshe, right, baby Moshe in the basket, uh, in the Nile, and it says she extends her hand. So the, the Midrash tells us that her hand actually miraculously extends in order to bring Moshe um, to her. Again, as I mentioned, a correlation between the Purim story and Mitzra and what's happening in Egypt as well. Um, the Gemara asks, um, why did Esther invite Haman to the banquet, right? The famous question, um, why, does she, why does she think this is a good idea? Uh, it, right, it definitely uh, gets Ahasuerosh upset. So the Gemara actually gives 12 different answers. Uh, either it's to set a trap, or she wants to keep her enemy close, or she wants to keep an eye on him, or that um, maybe, right, so that uh, to make the king jealous, Right, uh, the Gemara asks. They they say that um, they asked Eliyahu, right, Elijah, the prophet. Uh, really, um, who? Um, um, sorry, um, the the Gemara asks uh, which one of these answers is true. Eliyahu says it's all twelve. Right, basically, uh, she has many reasons that she invites Haman to her uh, her uh, feast. Uh, from here, the Gemara tells us that Haman had 30 sons, right? 10 died, 10 were hanged, and 10 became poor, or maybe 70 became pure, poor, or maybe 208 became, uh, be became uh, poor, right? Maybe he had many, many sons. Um, from here, uh, the very famous line, right? And it was on that night, right? On that night, um, the king couldn't sleep, right? And here, famously, the Gemara tells us which king, right? We know Ahasuerus couldn't sleep, but the Gemara tells us God couldn't sleep, right? God is upset by what's going on. Um, and then the Gemara tells us, right, why couldn't Ahasuerus sleep, right? He, he thought maybe, right, Haman and Esther want to kill him. Why is nobody telling him about this plot to kill the king? Maybe it's because Somebody once did a favor for him and he didn't, uh, and he didn't repay them. So now um, let's go see, right? And that's the reason he asks the scribe to read the, um, right, the, the, the book of the, the, basically the historical account of what has been happening. Maybe somebody did something for the king and he didn't honor him. Uh, the, the, the Gemara tells us on 16, that the scribe tried to erase these words about Mordechai. Again, he was uh, he didn't like the Jews, uh, but the angel Gabriel uh, was standing there and he made sure that he couldn't erase them or he rewrote them. Uh, again, as I mentioned in the beginning, um, things seem to be very mundane, very physical, very natural, right? The king can't sleep, the scribe is reading, Oh my gosh, look at that. He's reading about Mordechai, right? The Gemara is telling us, no, this is all very intentional, right? The Gemara is kind of putting in, there was an angel here, there was an angel there. God couldn't sleep, right? Um, the, the Gemara is reminding us that this is also a very um, spiritual story, right? There are things that are involved here that we don't realize. Um, so I think it's just an interesting way to understand the... Um, the Megillah. Um, okay, um, the Gemara says that right. Um, um, Haman needs to go and give all this honor to Mordechai. Mordechai thinks that Haman is coming to kill him. Right again, he hates him. So uh, 
Mordechai stops his class that he's giving and he starts to pray, he starts to daven, and Haman waits. Um, and then there's a whole conversation between Mordechai and Haman. Mordechai says, Mary Haman says, you need to put on this clothing. Uh, Mordechai says, really, I can't. I haven't bathed in a while. Remember, he's in mourning. Uh, I, I haven't cut my hair. I haven't shaved. Um, and uh, I don't know what to do. And he basically um, gets Haman to um, bathe him and to sh and to 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 cut his hair, right? He gets him to uh, become a barber and uh, a bath attendant. Uh, and we see this like power shift between Mordechai and Haman. Uh, here we have the famous story, right? Haman is leading Mordechai through the streets. Haman's daughter is on the roof and she sees them coming. She assumes, remember the night before, Haman is so excited. He thinks that the king uh, loves him. So the daughter thinks that it's actually Haman on the horse and Mordechai leading him. So she takes the chamber pot and she dumps it on the head of the person leading the horse. Lo and behold, it actually is Haman, and she's mortified, and she actually falls off the roof, and she dies. Uh, and that's why it says that Haman right, leaves this scene um, in mourning, right? Why is he mourning? Literally, right? He's mourning the death of his daughter. Um, the, he gets to his house, right? The wise men tell Haman that if Mordechai is from one of these tribes, right? Uh, Yehuda, Binyamin, Ephraim, or Menashe, he will not be successful, meaning uh, it's not going to be good for you, Haman. Uh, it's interesting. Um, the, the, they tell him the Jews are like dirt and they're like the stars, right? Again, we talk about when, when, uh, when God tells us about how we are going to multiply, we're going to be so many, right? We say we're like the sands of the beach of the earth and like the stars in the heaven, uh, right? And here the Gemara tells us, what does that mean? That when we're low, we're really low, like the dust of the earth. But when we're successful, we're like the stars, right? We reach all the way up, right? Um, interesting, this actually reminds me of the, the, the Hasidic rabbi who used to have um, two pieces of paper in his pocket. Right, one said, um, right, I am like the dust of the earth, right, Anochi Afarva Efer, I'm like dust. Uh, the other says, Bishvili Nivraha Ulam, right, the world was created for me, right, and, and he teaches this idea that at different times in my life, I need a different piece of paper, right, when I'm feeling really low, I need to take out the paper that says, God put me on this earth so that I can do really important things, right, reach for the stars. Uh, on the other hand, when I'm feeling really high, I have to remember that we're like the dust of the earth, right? I need humility. So it's interesting uh, to think about um, the role of the Jews uh, or anybody, this idea of um, ambition, inspiration, aspiration versus humility. Um, okay. Um, okay. Uh, the Gemara tells us that Esther comes from royalty. Uh, and that's why Haman was able to talk to her directly. Uh, and now we get to the scene where uh, at the banquet, um, um, Esther tells Ahasuerus what's happening. He, the king gets very angry and he leaves. Uh, and Haman is there, right? The Gemara tells us that uh, there was an angel who pushed Haman onto the bed uh, and therefore, right, that made the king even angrier. Um, Charvona is the one who comes and tells the king, right, uh, what to do about the, the tree. Um, but the, the Gemara tells us originally he was on Haman's team, uh, but then he saw that uh, Haman was really uh, failing, so uh, he kind of switches sides. Um, from here, the Gemara talks about, since we're talking about re um, revealing your identity, the Gemara now goes to Yosef. Right when Joseph reveals his identity to uh, the brothers, and there's a lot of parallel here. Um, from here, um, the Gemara talks about uh, the the pasuk right like, that we actually say in Havdalah, right? Right, the Jews had light. What's light? We had Torah. We had Simcha. We had happiness. Those are the festivals. Sasona, also joy, that's 
um, the ability to do circumcision, brit milah, um, yakar, we have honor, uh, that is tfilin, right? The ability to put on a tfilin. Um, from here, uh, just lastly, I, um, I, I want to show you the Gemara talks about the unique way that um, the 10 sons of Haman are written in the Megillah. So you can see here, um, the, the, the Megillah is written with the 10 sons written like in a, in a column, um, one on top of the other. Um, so the Gemara tells us that the 10 sons of Haman, um, you need to see them all in one breath because they were all killed at the same time. And they're written this way, right? When, when the Torah wants to write something in a negative way, it writes it this way um, because uh, it says, right, that if one of them falls, right, they fall all the way to the bottom, they can't rise up. As opposed to, interestingly, if you look at, um, you can see here, I brought you what it looks like in the Torah when, when the Torah writes, as yashir, um, this is a, a shira, a song of praise. Um, when it writes this song, um, it's written, um, the, the Gemara talks about it as um, um, bricks on top of empty space, right? Meaning it's, seen, it's a very solid structure, uh, right? Not precarious, like we saw the sons of Haman. Um, so when we want to sing, when we want to talk about something positive, it's written in this way. Uh, when it's negative, it's written uh, this way. Um, and that is... Uh, the way it needs to be written, the Megillah needs to be written like a Torah scroll. Um, and from here, um, the Gemara talks about um, Esther, uh, who really caused Purim to be enacted, um, and so too uh, with the fast. Uh, and I think here we're going to, we'll stop here for today, um, and next week we will finish this chapter uh, discussing the Megillah and then start the new chapter talking about um, the laws of reading the Megillah. So wishing everybody a wonderful week and a Shabbat Shalom and uh, looking forward to our continued learning. Thank you so much.